0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. To Tefillah, when we go to pray, I, I don't think most of us think about going into prayer to encounter God. Just positing, a guess. I don't think most of us necessarily enter each individual Tefillah experience expecting or hoping that we have an individual encounter with the divine. But what I know for certain is that even when somebody does come to Tefillah and expects to have an encounter with the divine, it's very rare... That they expect to have a physical encounter with the divine in fact that seems a little bit anathema to the jewish tradition right the fact that our god is not an embodied god the fact that our holy one our divine one is not one whom we feel comfortable representing pictorially or in idols, that's kind of part of the crux of our tradition. So even when there are physicalities associated with our ritual experiences, it's very rare that we have major physical representation of us encountering the divine in the divine self right, during Tefillah, so much so that there is a hesitation, particularly in our contemporary and modern mindset to do a full prostration, even to the ground. We leave that to the prayer leaders in in distance. But even when that's happening, that prostration is not necessarily happening in order to have a physical encounter with the divine, because God is untouchable, right? Isn't God untouchable? Isn't that part of the point of God? Okay, now we can learn. While those are going around, if there are people who are watching online, or if it's future <laughs> and someone's listening on the podcast, we're going to begin in Parshat Vayetze in chapter 28 of sheet verses 11 through 15. I would so prefer to do this with a lot more interaction two things. One is... We don't have a whole lot of time to learn together today. It's a short learning. And two is because of the nature of COVID and distancing and the way we're learning on the field and the distance between me and the folks who I can barely see on the screen, it's not really possible to do this interactively so that we can all hear each other. So I'll try to have a few moments where I can ask questions non-rhetorically, but I'm gonna try to frontally teach it as well to get us through the text. But I do want to hear your voices. So if you have a thought, you can shout it out as we go. So we're starting in chapter 28 at verse 11. The truth is we're really studying the first two words, but I want us to look at all these verses all together. Vayifgah b'makom kiva He came upon a certain place and stopped there for the night. Vayikach meavne hamakom hahu. He came upon a certain place, stopped there for the night because the sun had set, took one of the stones of that place, maybe one of the stones, maybe many stones, that's for another discussion, and put it under his head and laid down in that place. Who is he? Jacob, Yaakov. Good. I just want to make sure that we know who the he is because it's not established in this verse. So Yaakov comes to a place, Faif Ga Ba makom He stops there. The text tell us, Ki Vaha Shemesh, because the sunset and it's dark. And when it gets dark, we put our heads down, and he's wandering. So he puts his head down on a stone. And then we have a scene that's pretty well known to many folks. It's Jacob's dream. He had a dream. A stairway was set on the ground. Its top reached the sky. Angels of God were going up and down. And God was standing beside Jacob, beside him. And God said, I am the Lord. I am God of your father Abraham and God of Isaac. The ground on which you are lying, I will assign to you and to your offspring your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth you shall spread out to the west and to the east to the north and to the south i know a song about that all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and your descendants remember i am with you i will protect you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land i will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, so this passage is usually studied most for the Olim and Yordim motions because the action that's happening is happening most inside of Jacob's imagination. This dream and the encounter, the angels that are going up and down, and then this encounter with God. But the way that we think about an encounter with God in the ancient world is different than now. And the way that we conceive of what encounter is, is determined by the particular verbs that are used in verses. And that's what we're going to explore. In order for us to explore these two words, I need one more piece of context, which I'm going to preview the third source we're going to look at. You don't have to look at the source. I'm just going to give you a little bit of context for that third source and then I promise you we'll get there. There are two preserved theories in rabbinic Talmudic discourse. Quick reminder that approximately in the year 600, we get a codified oral law called the Talmud. There are two Talmuds, but we're not going to get into that. Approximately in the year 600, we get a codified discussion built upon Mishnaic conversation, all about how to live life beyond just torah beyond just Tanakh, and in there there are two theories about where prayer originated at its core again for another class and another conversation is an argument about authenticity how old is our fixed practice of praying how many times a day at least three every single day right and the way that we think about it Nowadays is evening, morning, afternoon, based on the way that creation is described. Stan, so often uh, I can actually hear it in your voice in my my head. Um, picture the puppet show, Stan reading it. Um, that's how we conceive of it now. But actually, in the Talmudic discourse, it gets read out morning, afternoon, evening, and there are two theories. One older and therefore perhaps more authentic than the other, and the older one is partially preserved in this story or goes back to the source in this story. So the newer tradition is there were sacrifices made at least 3 times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. Those are the three traditions and there's an argument made for those three sacrificial traditions being the origin of why we pray 3 times pray 3 times a day. But there is also the possibility argued that there are three origins of prayer, each of them embedded in one of the three avot, who we name each time we do the amidah. Avraham got up early, right? And Yaakov went out. That's a whole other conversation. And um, no, I said that wrong. Yitzchak went out. And Yaakov. Here, this is what we're going to get to, okay? So tefillah might be rooted right here. But what's so strange about this text and what I want us to explore is not just that it's the tefillah, but how he tefillahed. Because the root of his prayer experience isn't just a dream. It's deeply physical. Vaif ga bamakom. Hey, Gimel What What is that? Pei Gimel ayin Vaifka. What do you associate that with? To meet up with? Bagesh. Okay. Uh, okay. Perhaps. Good. Because it's got part part of that root. And sometimes we talk about the two letters of a three-letter root having a deep relationship with those three letters. Good. What's what is what is that vaifka? hmm So what is that? Yeah. Terror, like a, like a terrorist attack. Pega Ra. Mikol Pega Ra. Good. That's good liturgical language. Mikol Pega Ra. Okay. Pega. It is a definite physical encounter. A, a hit. A, a, uh, collision. It's a collision. Yaakov collided with God. Yaakov collided with God. So, in brachot, in the Talmud in brachot, we get part of the explanation for what I said before. Yaakov, tikein tefilat aravit shenemar, va'ivgama makom Sham The ein pegiah, I love it when the rabbis go, and there is no such thing as pegiah. There's no such thing as this verb existing, Ella tefilah. You know what Pigiah means? It means Tefillah. You know why? Because they decided it means (laughs) Tefillah. That's probably what they, that's probably what they're saying. That's okay. Shinemar. Now they're going to bring us a proof verse. And where's the proof verse from? It's from Yermiyahu. It's from Jeremiah. And it's a very strange proof verse, which I'll show you when you turn to the next page, unless you already turned ahead. The So it's a verse that says you don't do tefillah on behalf of this nation and don't raise on their behalf song and more tefillah and don't encounter me. Don't come tefgabi. Don't come knocking at my door basically. Don't come colliding with me. Okay. But they cut off the verse proof text right there. Hang on. Okay. And so the reason this proof verse works before we turn the page is because they're saying it's like, teak bullet it's parallelism within the verse they're saying it's a proof verse because tefillah is used interchangeably, interchangeably there you go adverb thank you uh with with pigia but here's the full verse from jeremiah verse ends and eneni otach. because i won't listen to you <laughs> don't come knocking because i won't listen to you because this is a point in the text in miyahu where God is in a state of great ire at God's people, and so the proof text isn't a particularly nice proof text, but that often happens. This is more of a, a technical exploration with you at this moment, which is to say that the rabbis are choosing this text, which doesn't fit nicely in its Nevi'im context but it's the best thing that they can find to explain the thing that they want it to mean. The rabbis want it to mean tefillah. They want Yaakov's encounter to mean tefillah. So much so we're going to skip over to the Sifte Chachamim explanation here that I love so much that on even just the second word in the verse this I love even more than the Vaif Ga. I thought I was going to like this already with just the exploration of the first word. But here, what do they say on the second word? Vaif Gaba Makom, uh, Behakadosh Bar, Makom. What are they going to say about Makom? Vaif Ka, uh, sorry, Vaif Ga, Ba Makom. And he, and he encountered this place. Now in the context, of the verse, what does it mean that Yaakov found the place? What is this place, Beit El? What does he say later? He says it himself, Yaakov. I didn't even realize it. It's a Beit El. I'm going to name it Beit El. Exactly. This was a place of God. Oh, my gosh. It actually is a Makom. We know that, right? As I said this earlier today uh, at Shabbat services, and my teacher, Rabbi Robbie Harris, would say, ain't pshat. There's really no such thing as pshat, as regular, plain, like, Uh, meaning of the text and there really is here (laughs) like the plain meaning of the text is that this is a makom, Beit El is a place and Siftei Chachamim says what do these first two words of this of this sentence say? Vaifgab ha-makom and Yaakov found ha-makom as in ha-makom yinechem chem. Yaakov found God, there, Yaakov slammed up against God at Beit El. Yaakov collided with God at Beit El. Rashi gets deeper into it. Go back up a source for a second, please. I'll wrap up way earlier than I wanted to wrap up, but that's okay. I could talk. I could explore this for a long time, but we'll at least read the Rashi, and we'll see if we get further. <laughs> Biabahat Rabouhirslah shown tofila, so he says, our teachers explain this as being the language of tefila. kemo the bi that source in Yirmiyahu, dilamanu, sheti tafiat Aravit, and this is how we came to learn that Yakov originated the custom of Mariv. Right? That's what I said earlier, that it becomes the thir- the source of that third evening um, prayer. And then Rashi says the following: the the lokatav vait palel. And scripture was actually changed. And it wasn't written there, Vait Palel. It could have been vayit Palel. That actually would have made more sense, says Rashi. Of course it would have made more sense. What did he do there? He prayed. But why did they change it? Why was scripture written in this way? To teach us, as it gets explained in somewhere else in Chulim, which I included in, on the latter page, but we won't have time to explore, to teach us that the ground actually shrunk before Yaakov, because Yifga means that you actually encountered a place Physically, that you hit this place physically. Shekhosat loha arex. That we needed to see this this way, that the scripture wanted us to imagine Yaakov with head against cold stones on the ground, encountering God physically. And that that is the source of tikkun aravit, of the fixing of the aravit prayers from this physical encounter with God to help us understand that the origin of the Ma'ariv prayer comes from this place of like stone cold collision with the divine in Beit El. Not just this flighty, heady, angelic dream of going up and going down, but that connection with Pigua, an explosively physical connection with the divine. I almost cannot imagine something further from my experience most of the time with Mariv. Mariv, which now rabbinically we call Rishut in the realm of something that we not, not quite optional, but we almost don't require. So I put this forward to all of us as a challenge to awaken the sensory nature of the tefillah experience that the entire tefillah tradition, which is fixed rabbinically, there is no doubt about it. All of it came from a rabbinic fixing of these three times a day. They wanted to see in our sources, they wanted to see from here the origins of what it is that we do every evening. I ask each of us, I ask myself, what is it that we could find in our prayer today that could even begin to approximate some sort of an encounter with divinity. Is it reintroducing any kind of a physicality in our prayer, a sensory physicality? Is it finding Beitel? Is it just being in a synagogue space that does it for us? What is it that could reintroduce it? Or is it just the awareness of the origins that could change our mindset around what